welcome our very own pastor, Jimmy Dow, to the stage, please. Yes, come on. All right, my, my message today is called Love Hurts. Love Hurts. And um, how many people in this room would be willing to admit you know what hurt feels like? Come on, hurt. Real hurt. All right. Well, could we just stand for a moment, please? I'm going to begin my sermon the way I sometimes end, and that is by drawing an attention to the ultimate love who came and paid the price of the ultimate heart for our freedom, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Michael and Hannah, would you come to the front, please, and four other youths and uh, prepare as we're going to prepare to take the bread and the wine together. And... Um, you know, for 40 years, I've meditated and studied this whole... Is, do we have four youths in the room? Isaac, there's one. Raphael, there's two more. Uh, run first, who's first there? <laughs> right, right. All right, we, we, you can all stay, that's fine. But what a love. What I love is that you never ever plummet the full depths of God. The Bible says that we see like, you know, puzzled reflections in a mirror. One day we'll see the whole. But I still think there are depths to the power of communion and the power behind Jesus' words. And when Jesus broke the bread and said, this is my body, he was giving to us one of the most immense, phenomenal, life-giving, life-releasing inspirations ever, which I'll go into a bit more in my sermon. But we're going to bow our heads and give thanks to God for that moment of on this Remembrance Day, on this Remembrance Day, we want to remember the one who died in another kind of war, but he was 100% innocent, pure, and holy. So, Lord Jesus Christ, we come and draw attention now to you, Jesus. For 30 years, you were the craftsman, you were the carpenter, but the whole of God's power and life was invested in you. You were the one vessel that God operated his power through to each one of our lives. And you took that bread and you broke it. And when you said, do this in remembrance of me, it was far more than some sentimental act. It was an act that would continue release the kingdom of heaven on earth in your power and your presence every single time we participate. So we meditate on that moment at the Last Supper, and we meditate on that moment you went to the cross. Ultimate love 
experiencing ultimate hurt for the lives and freedom of each one of us. We give you thanks, Jesus, for the ultimate act of love, the pain and blood you spilt and suffered for each one of our lives as we participate of the bread and drink of the wine. Let a fresh wave of your healing love, power, and presence saturate every single one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, when you take a piece of bread, we can pass, begin to pass the bread out. Would you take your bread and just break it with the person next to you? They have bread too, so they'll break there. But it's a meal that was shared. And we'll do this in reflective, in contemplative peace of God. You just pass all the bread first, guys, and then the wine. Thank you. Once you've taken of the wine, just take a, a moment to lay a hand on the shoulder of the person next to you and just pray the blessing of the love and the presence of God on them. In Jesus' name. Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
Jesus. If you can raise your hand, if you've still to receive the wine, raise your hand. Okay, guys, you guys got the wine. You can see we got some more up in the middle corridors here. Apologies, guys, but if you could just quickly raise your hands again so the guys can see you. Thank you, thank you. Up, up the middle here, to the left-hand side, up the middle. We're almost there. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, guys, once you're ready, if you take your seats, please. Does anybody need the house lights on so they can see the Bible? Raise your hand if you need the house lights on. For, okay, if we could put the house lights on, please, so... So we could see the word of God here. It'd be great. All right, Numbers 22, verse 21. I'm going to talk today about love hurts. There are two kinds of hurts. We're going to be dealing with this over a few weeks, but there's two kinds of hurts. There's what I call received hurts, and there's perceived hurts. Received hurts are the hurts you receive when a loved one dies. They're, they're the hurts that you receive when you lose a loved one. They're, they're the hurts you experience when there's an injustice. They're the hurts you experience when something happened you don't deserve. They're the hurts you experience through accident, and what the Lord would say about that in Psalm 147, he says that he's close to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. And it's clear that in God's presence, there is healing. And so if, if you've experienced any of these kind of hearts, you can expect to reach out. You have to press in and worship. It, it doesn't just land on your a head like an apple of a tree. You have to press into God's presence. And as you do in your thanksgiving and worship and praise, you can draw deep healing into your deep wounds. There's healing in his presence. But I want to talk about a different kind of hurt today. This is when I kick off. I want to kick off with a hurt that Balaam experienced. And it's a hurt that puts Christians off the trail. It puts them into the backwoods. It, how many people have ever been so, so hurt that after you fasted and prayed and read your Bible, the pain don't go away? Come on. How many people be in that place? Be honest. There's a hurt, the pain, that that thing just doesn't seem to touch. 
a hurt that's like, I want to jack in. A hurt that says, man, I'm so beat up, I'm so crushed. A hurt that you've prayed, you've fasted, you've had hands laid on you until, until you're, you're tired. But the hurt don't go away. Uh, I want to talk about perceived hurts today. And I, wanna, I want us to see from God's word, he has made a way incredible way and giving us an incredible gift. Now, you won't find this gift on no one's Christmas tree. It won't be on your Christmas card, and it won't be one that you'll hear preached every week, but it's one of the most... It, 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 it's like a visit to the dentist. It's like, you know, a visit to the dentist is a gift. It's never a gift until he takes that tooth away and that pain away, and you go, and then on your way home, you go, yeah, it's a gift. It's a gift, and so I want to... Look at a gift in the Bible here that I believe touches the heart that nothing else touches and sets us radically, radically free. And so, Balaam, we've been talking recently about our story. How many have heard me say our story and then there's God's narrative or God's story? How many have heard me talk about that? We live in our story, but there's a higher story going on that God wants us to tap into. Well, Balaam is caught up in his story. Life for this moment sucks for Balaam because Balaam, Balaam is in that place where he's got God in a bad mood. God is seriously, seriously miffed with him. So he's, he's already not in the greatest of places and then he decides to go on a journey. And God is mad at him. And we'll pick up the story. You know, if we ask how many heroes are in the Bible, you could all shout a name out. But I'm telling you now, one of my new heroes is Balaam's donkey. If I want to come back, if there was such a thing and come back in life, I said, no, I want to come back as Balaam's donkey. He is the business. He is, he is the one and in verse 21, it says this. Balaam got in the morning, and he saddled his donkey, and he went with the mobile officials. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand... It turned off the field, and Balaam beat it to get back on the road. The donkey has tapped into the higher story, the narrative. It's tapped into the supernatural realm. Balaam's stuck in this story here. All right. Balaam is, the donkey's actually in its natural habitat, and Balaam's in malfunction because he's stuck in his earthly story. Verse 24. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall and it crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he beats the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and he stood in a narrow place where he was left, no room to turn, either to the right or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, don't you just love it? You know, 
People call you an ass or a donkey. Next time you call them, next time somebody calls that, you get cheered up because this is the business. There's no one like Balaam's ass. And so he's, he's clearly tapped into the higher narrative. And, and, and Balaam's down here stuck in his story, life sucks. Then, I love it, just get, come on guys, get this. This is no Snow White and the Seven, whatever you're allowed to call them nowadays. I'm completely confused. Everything I say on the telly, the wife says, I'm not allowed to say that. I think she just says that because I'm not allowed to speak in the house, but that's not true. <laughs> she was. <laughs> then, the Lord opens the donkey's mouth. I bet you the donkey was like jumping at the back. It was like, for, you know, jumping at the back, like. And the donkey says to Balaam, what have I done to you to beat me these three times? Come on. This is something else. This is. So what have I done to you? Imagine you going home the day and your dog goes, hey, get a life. Four years I've been waiting for him coming home for church and I'm bursting. You know, and Balaam, do you know the most brilliant thing about this? It's not the donkey talk that Balaam answers it. If it was me, I'd be like, I need a tablet. That didn't happen. <laughs> uh, you know, I, know, I need to get stressed out of my life. There's something no right in my head. And um, he answers that. No, you've talked to a few, no, no, you've, yeah. I love his answer. He says, he doesn't say this, this, he said, you made a fool of me. You made a fool of me. So his whole self-esteem, his whole pride, his whole image was on the line here. You made a fool of me. That was the deal. It wasn't that it was, his foot was killing him. It wasn't that he was off the rails. You made a fool of me. And the donkey said, am I not your own donkey that you've always ridden to this day? Have I been doing the habit of this? And then the Lord opened the Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord again with his sword. Still, Balaam stuck in his narrative. If you stay in your narrative, you're going to stay in heart pain and depression, but you got to tap into the, there's a higher narrative story going on that is totally awesome plan for your life and mine. God's on it, the donkey's on it, Balaam's. So the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. <laughs> he switches on the higher story and he sees the higher narrative. He sees what's going on. He sees the angel of the Lord and he, and he fell down. And the angel Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to pose you because your, your donkey saw me and turned away. If I hadn't turned away, you'd be dead. I'd have killed you. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, have I sinned? I did not realize you were standing in the road to pose me. Now, if you're displeased, I'll go back. Now, if I was the donkey at this point, I'd not be in the spirit. I'd be 100% in the flesh going, nah, 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 nah. You know, you, you, you're, like, you're like, but I missed a little bit out there because the third time, the third time, 
that uh, the angel of the Lord showed up. It says that the donkey lay down. The donkey lay down. All three of these are very, very key for us today. Balaam's on a mission. And something derails him from his vision and his mission. How many of you have had great dreams, great plans, great missions for God? You know where you're going, what you're doing? And lo and behold, life derails you. How many of us would do the exact same thing as Balaam? Look, two things we do. We look for somebody to blame and somebody to beat. May not be with a stick, maybe we're worse. And so, so what? So, so, so here's Balaam. He, he's on this thing, and now he's, he's derailed. You've all been derailed at some point. You're going for university. You're going for this. You're going for that dream. You're going to be something great for God, and bang, you're derailed, and you're in a ditch somewhere. How many people know what it feels like to be in a ditch and you don't know why sometimes? Come on, guys. That's Balaam. He's so connected to his earthly story, he doesn't get it. The donkey gets going, and before, before Balaam could get the message, the donkey's clever, I think. Right, he doesn't listen to that one. I'll try another tack to get his attention. I'll crush him. The donkey, to save his life, crushes him against the wall. How many times has something happened to you and you just feel, man, my life was just picking up. I was just recovering from that derail and something comes inside you, just crushes you. It just crushes you. Somebody said something, you know, the wrong thing or the wrong way, looked at you or did something. Something happened in your family and some, you know, something happened here. And you're just crushed. Well, we know the scripture says that God is close. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. But we got to get another narrative today. If you want to get that pain to move that no other thing moves, no prayer moves, no healing moves, no fasting moves, we got to get this narrative. It's brilliant. It says, and so Balaam is not only derailed, he's now crushed. He couldn't get any worse. Finally, he gets his dream, his vision back on the rails again. Hey, looking up now, he's got his gel on his hair now. Things are picking up. New stirrups and, and away he's on the donkeys. Finally, a stupid donkey just doesn't get the program. He doesn't understand. I'm on a mission. I'm going somewhere. And just when he thinks he's got going, once again, boom, the donkey lays him low. It lays him low. And now, now his image has changed. Now he's like, yesterday he was all right. He's going somewhere. Now he just feels, I've been hung out. I'm a donkey. And do you know what we do? We'll switch off in church and play crosswords on our iPads. We'll escape. We'll do anything we can because we don't know what else to do sometimes when life lays you low. Sometimes life comes at you and lays you so low, so low, 
There's so much pain, no tablet touches it. So much depression, no wine lifts it. So much darkness, no amount of neon lights touch it. And that's where Balaam's at. He, he's been derailed, crushed. Now he's been laid low. He don't see no way of getting up and getting going. How many people know we're talk, what I'm talking about here this morning? Come on. How many people know that that's where people are at at times? And so Balaam, the donkey has a word with him and lets him know because now he suffered the mother of blows. You can suffer a bit of derailing. You could suffer a bit of crushing. But when you're laid low, when you're laid low, depression in this country in teenagers is at its highest level it's ever been. Because when you're laid low, these are not weak people or freaky people. When you're laid low, you sometimes just don't know how to get back up on the ladder again. And so he's laid low. The donkey makes it worse for him. The donkey's like, he's, he's very polite about it. He could have said, well, you're right, you are a fool. But he didn't. What was Balaam's problem? Was it the hurt he suffered? The perceived hurt when he appeared to be derailed? Was it the perceived hurt when he was crushed? Was it the perceived hurt when he was laid low? No. His problem was he was blind. He was blind to God's narrative. It says in Peter, the book of Peter, that Balaam had a little problem. He loved the money from wickedness. And he didn't do what God told him. He had a couple of problems, but he didn't see the bigger picture. He didn't see one of the most beautiful, beautiful principles in the whole of the Bible. Now, it won't be on your Christmas card, this one. It won't be in your uh, marshmallows tin to rust, rust on the fire. But I'm telling you, if we can embrace this one, we'll know a freedom from heart and a fire of the Holy Spirit in our bones like never before. And here it is. The first of three blows from the Lord. Now here's the thing. Jacob says to the Lord, I won't let you go till you bless me. How many people know somebody puts your hip at a joint, it's no blessing. You often ask for a blessing, God gives you a blow. He says his word is like a two-edged sword. It cuts between spirit and marrow. And God's word to us comes sometimes like a blow. But it was these blows that rescued Balaam. The first Explosive principle I want to share this morning is this. Accept your every hammer blow comes 
from God. Woofed, accept every hammer blow comes from God. Balaam beat the donkey because he thought the hammer blow that took him off the rails, the hammer blow that took him low, the hammer blow that crushed him was from his enemy. Those blows were from the Lord to save him, radically spare his life. And when you stop fighting and wrestling with God, if you keep wrestling with God, you're going to have a hip joint out like, like Jacob. But God wants us to see that many of the hammer blows we experience in life are from the hand of God because he has a higher narrative to save us and use us like you can't imagine. Now, guys, how many of you have ever heard of the principle of brokenness? Raise your hand if you've heard of the principle of brokenness. Anybody? A few people. I'm talking today about the beautiful principle of brokenness. If Balaam could see that every one of those hammer blows were from the hand of the Lord and they spared him, he would not have got hurt here. He'd have got hurt in his foot, but he would not have got felt like a fool. He would have thought, you're not serious. God loves me that much. They would get a donkey to beat me up three times. When was the last time you were beaten up with a donkey? When was the last time a donkey that was beside you gave you a hard time? When was the last time a donkey got on your road and stole your car parking space? When was the last time a donkey jumped a queue and asked and you gave them a mouthful? Now we have to understand what the hammer blows are for. You see, cheap gospel says that God only says good things. I'm not going to give anybody cheap gospel today because it don't touch the pain. But real gospel cuts down between this. Isaiah 45, 7 says, I form the light and I create the darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I'm the Lord who does all those things. Are you serious? I wonder how many calamities have come in your life and they've spared you. They've saved you from death spiritual death. Job says in chapter 2, will I only accept good things from the Lord and not bad things? Oh my word. Now here's the thing. Here's the problem. From the second you were born, and if Christians could see this, we're going somewhere. From the second you and I are born, we're all about one single thing. One single thing. Our glory. That's it. That's what it was all about in that, that, the Garden of Eden at the fall. Before the fall, it was about God's glory. But after the fall, it was like it's about our glory. You could be something. You could be somebody. From the day we get our first breath, it's about our needs, our selfishness, our image, our self-centeredness. It's about our self-assertiveness. It's about our self-promotion. It's about our self-love. This is Bible. But the minute the Spirit of God enters your life, and this is where many Christians get fooled, the minute the Spirit of God enters your life, He saves your spirit. But your flesh is not touched. 
And in John 12, 24, it says, unless the seed goes into the ground, it stays alone. But if it goes into the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. That's what that communion is. Jesus, Jesus was letting us see that when his seed goes into the ground and dies, when it's broken, what Jesus, now come back to the bread for a moment, when he broke that bread, what Jesus wants his people to understand that the key to explosive healing, life, and freedom in Jesus Christ comes through brokenness. You can applaud the Lord Jesus for that one. It's not an ice cream one. It's not a fluffy one, but it's through brokenness. You see, because the seed is in a hard shell. The seed that, that God put in you of his spirit is in a hard shell called flesh. And flesh is all about my glory. Flesh is all about protecting me. Flesh is all about immorality and dodgy stuff and weird horoscopes. Flesh is all about anything other than God being the source. Flesh is all about self-love, pride, resentment, jealousy, and all kinds of malice. That's the shell. Now, for God's spirit to work through you and me, it can only work through you and me if there's no shell blocking it. But if the shell is bound up with anger, the flow can't go through. If the shell is bound up with pride, it can't go through. And how does God fulfill John 12, 24? It takes us through experience after experience after experience, and it's like hammer blow after hammer blow after hammer blow. Not because God hates you, because he loves you so much. He wants your spirit to be free from the shell that binds us and takes us to the grave. It's the gift of brokenness. Watchman Nee said this. It takes many breakings in many areas of our lives for us to attain a place of youthfulness. Let me say that again. It takes many breakings in many areas of our life to attain to a place of usefulness. When the Spirit of God is able to flow through your life without any hindrance of the flesh, miracles begin to happen. The Spirit of God is at work in you right now to form you and I into the image of Christ. In order to do that, he has to get rid of the shell. If the seed goes into the ground and the shell stays, it's finished. But it gets more exciting in a moment when we begin to see what happened when Christ himself became that seed. Here's the thing. The moment you accept that God loves you so much the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are, that he wants his spirit to flow through you. In order to do that, he has hammer blow after hammer blow after hammer blow to deliver us from the flesh so the spirit of God can flow through you freely. Now this principle in the Bible has number of pictures painted to help us. 
One of the pictures is of the refiner's fire. That God takes us through fires to refine us. One is the threshing floor, where it seems every last bit of you is being threshed. One is Elma's favorite, the potter's wheel. When God just takes you back, takes you apart and reforms you into his image. My favorite one is Joel 12, 24. That image of the seed going into the ground and dying. And the reason it's my favorite is it brings me back to this. It brings me back to this. Now, here's where it gets exciting. Point number two. You have to accept the seed has to die for life to flow. I know people who think, who say, they know what brokenness is. They've been broken. I know people, I've got a friend who's lost his wife, he's lost his job, he's lost millions, he's lost racing cars, he's lost uh, his family, he's lost his home. Now he is broke. He's broke, but he's not broken. <laughs> In fact, I would say he's less broken now before he lost everything. Because he's more proud now. His flesh is more angry now. His flesh is more proud now. His flesh is more self-centered now. In such a way that he's dumped all his family. He's dumped his faith. He's dumped his church. And he's going across countries the loneliest man you could ever get. So many Christians are confused. They think because they're broke, they're broken. Oh, no, 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 no. If the broke thing doesn't touch the flesh and break the pride and break the self-centeredness and break the self-love, then you still, that's why you find Christians 40 years of walking with Jesus and they're just as proud, they're just as angry, they're just as self-centered as the day they came to meet Jesus Christ. Does that make sense, guys? Because they've confused, they think being broke or losing something is brokenness. Oh, no, 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 no. It's only brokenness if you allow that broke thing to go deep down inside you and you bring that flesh to the cross you bring that anger that bitterness that resentment that unforgiveness that judgment thing that pride thing to the cross and say god i embrace it how many have seen the movie unbroken is it unbroken how many have seen that movie woofed i'm not surprised you've not watched it it's a war movie and, and he's in the Japanese camp, this Christian guy, and, and, and the, the boss is angry with him. And he brings 250 of his friends up. And he says to his 250 friends, you're going to smack this guy as hard as you could smack him as punishment. And he commanded 250 of his friends to punish him, one after another. And he said, if one of them doesn't hit you with full force, I'll put a bullet through his head. And he's standing there in front of his friends. And his friends look at him, no way, no way, no way. And he goes, he's skin and bone, he's already suffered. Like He goes, bring it on, bring it on. And everyone that hit him, he got more excited. Boom, boom, as the rain blows down on him. Imagine, you understood God loves you so much. He rains blows down on you. He wants to deal with that little pride, that little anger, that thing. And you go, like the guy in Unbroken movie, you go, hey, bring it. His mates didn't want to do it. He says, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. Poof. He got stronger poof, by every blow and then he collapses. 
And there is, Jesus was at that point as the blows rained down on him and rained down on him and rained down on him. He could have, he could have said enough's enough. But Jesus was like, bring it on. Bring on the cross. Because Jesus knew that the whole of God's presence, the whole of heaven and the whole of God's presence was put into the limitations of one man. Of one man. All of God's presence, all of his manifesting power, all of his glory was put into the limitations of one man, his son, Jesus Christ. And uh, this is where it gets exciting. And why Jesus never wants us to forget this is because he was saying up until that point, God operated and dwelt in his presence, his power, through one man, the bread. What they didn't quite get is that he was introducing a whole new ballistic, supernatural, spiritual revolution when he did this. Because you know what he was saying? Everything was invested in one man. But if the bread stayed this way and didn't die, it would still stay. If Jesus hadn't gone to the cross, the presence of God would have stood stuck there, I believe. But because he allowed his seed to go on the ground and died, from that moment, God's presence shifted from one to many. The next day we break bread, you got to get this. If we could get this, guys, this thing alone and nothing else, we're on a winner. God took his son with all his presence dwelt. So from that moment on, God chose to dwell in his presence and manifest his power through you and you and you and you to many we call his church the body of Christ. Let's applaud the Lord Jesus Christ on that alone. Come on, guys. We've got to get this. We've got to get this. We've got to get this. It's more than a little, you know, thing you do each year. It's more than a, the cross. It's more. It's like from this moment on, his power was no longer limited to the flesh of one man, Jesus Christ. It's now limited to his vessel, the church, you and me. Now, that's fantastic news and exciting news, but it's also a massive responsibility because while it dealt, it dwelt in Jesus Christ, there was no sin, there was no flesh, there was no hindrance, so the Spirit of God could flow through him and whoever touched was healed. But now God's made it even more difficult for himself, I would say. He's now limited his presence and his power to his church, which is his vessel. So you and me are now the dwelling place of the power, the presence of the living God. And for that presence to get to the poor, to get to the hurting, to get to the suffering, to get to the lost, to get to the dying, it's got to flow through a vessel that is not caught up with the hardest shell of price and pride and self-love and, and every other thing. Can we applaud the Lord Jesus Christ for this? Come on, guys. 
One too many. One too many. Now here's the challenge, guys. Now, which is my third point, by the way, one too many. Balaam's eyes were opened. What if the Holy Spirit opened ours to see that these three blows that we run from, those three blows, you know, when he takes us off rails for a time to fix us, when he, when he crushes us a little bit here and there to fix us, when he, when he lays us low to fix us and deliver us from that shell, what if God opened our eyes to see and you look back on every single blow you've ever suffered, every blow you've suffered? Because here's the thing. If someone has pride and you have pride, the Spirit of God cannot minister through you and deal with that person's pride because it's blocked at the level of your pride. This person is living in hypocrisy because they've got flattery. They're just flattery, 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 which is another name for hypocrisy. But you can't deal with that person's spirit or even discern that spirit if you've got flattery yourself. You have no spiritual discernment or ability to help in that area. Is that clear, guys? We're going to be a bit deep here now. We're going to be a bit deep. But I'm not going to be on too much long. But God formerly came and dwelt in one man. Now he dwells in many. And the same principle applies to you and me if our seed could go on the ground and die. I stopped for five years asking God to heal me. I started saying, would you kill me? Because my Bible says, you die, he lives. And there is a time when you have a received hurt to pray and mourn and weep. There's a time for that. And it's beautiful to draw on his healing presence. But I'm just sharing with you in my experience, there is a heart beyond all hearts that no healing touches. Only death can touch you. And I'm telling you, I've been blessed. I mean, is it your mom, son? Uh, you're not allowed to answer unless it's your mom. Anyway. Where were we? Your, 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 your um, where was it? Healing touch. Here's the thing. This is not rocket lettuce. God can heal sin. Can heal sin. And here's how it works. A new person comes in the door full of enthusiasm. They have gifts and talents oozing out their ears. They offer service in every department. And in every department, they're blessed. The, 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 the people were amazed at the talents and the gifts and the skills. And it, it's just this, this guy's like the closest thing to Jesus. Uh, this guy or lady, what a blessing, what a blessing, what a blessing. But within three to four months, you hear a little ruffle here and a ruffle here and a ruffle here, and you find that the, the person is reeking with pride. And the ugliness of that pride is being dropped all over every department. The ugliness is everywhere. Here's the thing. If God has dealt with you in the area of pride... You will be discerning of that pride. You could smell that pride a thousand miles away and you'll go, I'm not impressed with his gifts. I'm not impressed with his talents and skills. I'm not impressed with all this servant stuff. It's a smokescreen for a self-glory person. But 
Let me explain how it works in church down through years. For those who have the same pride and haven't dealt with that pride, they have no discernment. So they think this guy's great. In fact, they empathize with this guy. They join with this guy and become a mission with this guy because they have no discernment whatsoever in that area. Discernment is hearing God and applying his wisdom. It said of Jesus, how humble we, Jesus did nothing, 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 nothing. Jesus did nothing except what his father showed him to do. Oh, yeah, beauty. There was no shell, no self-glory, no image to cover, no nothing. He was the most wise, discerning person on the earth. And God wants his church and every believer in his church to be the wisest and most deserving person on the planet. And so I'm closing with this. Number one, if you want that hurt to go, you got to give up your shell. You got to give up your old habit patterns of going in the huffy puffies when things don't work your way. You got to give up that tendency to withdraw when the going gets too tough. You got to give up that self centered demandingness. You got to give up that whole self love, self glory thing. Imagine if you die and you, somebody wrote on your gravestone, this person had no seed left. They were all about one single thing, his glory. So the next time a hammer blow comes, ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see the higher story. To see the higher story. That God is forming Jesus Christ in you, the character of Christ in you, so the Spirit of God could flow you and you would see miracles and healings and deliverance in the most amazing way. Discern when the time is to say, heal me, Lord. Discern when it's time to go. Lord, I embrace your hammer blows. You are the potter. I'm the clay. Shape me any way you want me. Shake me, bend me any way you want me. You got the power. What's the next line? What's that? You know it, though. Don't pretend you don't know it. <laughs> Can we stand in God's presence? Time has gone on. I feel it's so important. You know, Ian Andrews has been used in the healing ministry more than anybody I know. But he took me on one side and said, Jimmy, many, many, many years ago, the greatest thing God could do for you is brokenness. The truth is, I was like Balaam. I wanted to beat him. What a blessing. You call that a blessing. So I ignored it for a while. But I've discovered there's a pain that no tablet can touch. There is a heart that no prayer can touch. There is a depth that no human can touch. But only obedience to the word of God. If the seed goes into the ground, 
and dies. So next time the hammer blows, come guys. Take your eyes off the donkey. Everyone was going to say, I'm married to the donkey, but that's another story. Take your eyes off the donkey. Put your eyes on the Lord. Hold your hands out and say, Lord, whatever you need to do, whatever threshing floor, whatever potter's clay, whatever thing you need to do to make me into the image of Christ, whatever pride you see in me, self-love, self-glory, whatever it is you see in me, would you deal with me? Would you deal with me? Would you deal with me? Let's close our eyes. I'm going to close with a prayer. Lord Jesus, in the moment you broke that bread, you sent to mankind the most awesome way forward for life to flow through us. If we stay unbroken, we're going to be lonely and hurting all the days of our life. But help us to see those blows the donkey took. Help us to see the many blows, the many blows that are from your hand because you love us so deeply and you have such an awesome plan and purpose for our lives. Holy Spirit, for those who have got genuine, received, deep-rooted grief, pain, suffering, would you touch the depths of their seeping ones with your healing love and the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you heal the mind, the soul, the hearts, but more than anything, God, would you give us the strength to apply John 12, 24 and every day pick up a cross and every time that flesh rises of anger, or resentment, bitterness, or whatever, we nail it to the cross so that just maybe your spirit would have freedom to rule, reign, and flow through every one of us to the deepest hearts and wounds in this city and the nations of the earth. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Raphael, Raphael, would you be able to do your winning song for us right now? Let me say that in English. Would you be able to come and do your song that you did on Friday night right now?